Welcome to the Two Journeys podcast. This is part two of episode 38 in the book of John entitled The Trial, where we conclude our discussion on John chapter 18, verses 19 through 40. I'm Wes Treadway, and I'm here with Pastor Andy Davis. Andy, what are we going to see in these verses today? Well, the entire gospel of John is written to persuade us that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the deity of Christ. It's also going to show us today uh, the contrast between the deity of Christ, his sublime character, his the way he carries himself through the, the degrading trials and then being denied by his closest friend on earth, Peter, the contrast is overwhelming. So we're going to see the deity of Christ and the perfect humanity of Christ mm. shining in some of the most degrading circumstances we can imagine. We're also going to see the importance here in redemptive history as Jesus, as our sin-bearing substitute, is on trial and found guilty on our behalf, though the way by which that happens can be nothing but corrupt because the human beings that are judging him are sinful and wicked, and that is put on display. So we're going to see the sublime character of Christ by contrast with Peter in his denials and with Annas and Caiaphas and Pontius Pilate in his trials. Well, for our purposes today, I'm going to begin reading in verse 19 and read through the end of chapter 18 in verse 40. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple, where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself. So they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again, and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. 
but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Now in 29 and 30, Pilate goes outside and asks, what accusation or charge the crowd is bringing against Jesus, which demonstrates a pretty standard approach of Roman justice. How did the Jews answer Pilate's question, and what does this interchange show us about their relationship to Pilate? All right, so he's he, Roman justice. He's got to have, you know, a reason to deal with this man. What is the crime? And so he goes out and begins this negotiation. And and you can see how high-handed and arrogant they are with him as this goes on. Verse thirty-one, I think, uh, is an interesting verse. Mm -hmm. it says. Um, that Pilate said to them, take him yourselves, mm -hmm. judge him by your own law. Mm -hmm. And then the Jews respond and say, it's not lawful for us to put anyone to death. Mm -hmm. um, why would they hold to this issue here, mm -hmm. but then say in Acts 7, they stoned Stephen. Yeah. So there's this weird dichotomy of, okay, we're going to stone Stephen, but we can't put this man to death. What's, yeah. What are What is happening in it's verse 31? Just the dynamics are amazing. And, and we learn about this in Acts chapter 4 when it says uh, Peter and, and John, after they're arrested and released, mm -hmm. they go back to their own people and they say, um, you know, uh, this man, they said that Jesus was put to death by the set purpose and plan, sovereign plan of Almighty God. It was handed over to Pilate by God's sovereignty. Part mm -hmm. of that sovereignty was the current events that I listed. They're written about in Josephus. Uh, what, what Pilate did so that he is knuckling under to the Jews. So first he goes out to them and he asks for the charges. What is their answer? If he weren't a criminal, we wouldn't have given him over to you. Basically, they're saying to him, it's none of your business. It's none of your business, Pilate. Just do what we want. You can see the arrogance here. I mean, this is no answer. What are the charges? If you were not a criminal, we would not have been bringing him over to you. That's sassy. You know, <laughs> like, look, like, just, we told you he's bad. You, you don't need to know anything. You just need to deal with him. All right, well, what is deal with him? He said, well, then you just, you, you have a problem, you take him. And the reason they won't do it is because they want to kill him. Now, you're right. They're inconsistent. They just kill Stephen. But that was an act of passion. They weren't mm. thinking about things. I don't know what's going on with the politics with Rome at that point. All I'm saying is they will not put him to death. Mm. And it's interesting you bring up Stephen because how did Stephen die? How do the Rome, How do the Jews Sorry, how do the Jews kill people? How do they execute people? By stoning. By stoning. Jesus said, when you have lifted the Son of Man up, then you will know that I am who I claim to be. Mm -hmm. So Jesus must die by a way by which he is lifted up. Yeah. Furthermore, the text doesn't mention it, but we know he has to have his hands and feet pierced. He has to be pierced. The word pierced is also mentioned not just in Psalm 22, but in Isaiah 53. Mm -hmm. And so fundamentally, this piercing, this lifting up, lifted up piercing death, that's what has to happen. Yeah. And so the only way he's going to be be lifted up and pierced to death as if the Romans kill him. Yeah, and verse 32 just explicitly states this mm -hmm. for us and saying, this was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Mm -hmm. So how does Pilate begin his inquisition of Jesus mm -hmm. and what should we make of Jesus' answer to Pilate? I mean, why would he answer him in the way that he does in the following verses? All right, so Pilate, I don't want to be, you know, trivialize this with any kind of humor. I'm not doing it, but Pilate is basically a human ping pong ball here in, in John 18 and 19. Out and back, out and back, out. So he goes out, now he goes back in. He goes back in to talk to Jesus. Mm. And as he goes back in, he summons Jesus. He looks at him. Uh, I don't know what he knows about Jesus before this. Yeah. Very little. 
except we know from Matthew that his wife had told him to have nothing to do with that righteous man because I've suffered greatly in a dream because of him. Hmm. I don't know when that saying happened, but he is wondering who Jesus is. He must have heard something. So he said, are you the king of the Jews? Now that fundamental charge, because he claimed to be a king, is what is going to be laid on Jesus. Are you the king of the Jews? And he zeroes in on that. It's fascinating to me. Is he the king of the Jews? He is. Did he have the legal right to sit on David's throne? Of course. God, you know, crosses every T and dots every I. So was there a, a legal, a lineage descending down from David to mm. Jesus? There absolutely was. It's established in, in two genealogies. Yeah. So Jesus is the king of the Jews. He has the right to be king of the Jews. His father, legal father, Joseph, certainly is dead by now. Mm. Jesus was it. He was, in fact, the king of the Jews, but he doesn't answer. He says, is that your own idea or did others talk to you about me? Jesus is very, it's just fascinating how he approaches this. Are you the king of the Jews? Where did you get that idea? Yeah. And in verse 35, Pilate emphasizes that the Jews are the mm -hmm. ones accusing Jesus. Yeah. How does that fit into John's theme of the Jews' rejection of Christ? You yeah. know, if we think back, we've seen uh, some believe, but many rejected. And mm -hmm. again, just a reoccurring theme of the Jews' rejection. Yeah. No, I didn't have the idea that you're the king of the Jews. Where do you think any of this came from? I got it from your own people. And by the way, your own people are the ones rejecting you. They're the ones that want to kill you. Mm. So they handed you over, your people, your chief priests, they're the ones who handed you over to me. What have you done? Pilate doesn't really know what he's done to get them so enraged mm -hmm. or why he should kill them. I mean, the Roman justice system doesn't put anyone to death without a good cause. Yeah. And so he's like, what What did you do? Yeah, it is interesting, uh, the, the contrast as I read this, between mm -hmm. Pilate and the Jewish leaders. The mm -hmm. Jewish leaders want to put Jesus to death mm -hmm. for something uh, that they are trumping up. They're mm -hmm. making up these charges. And Pilate seems on the other side of that to be like, I don't want to put you to death because yeah. I can't see what's wrong here. And so that conflict ultimately is going to come to a head yeah. uh, later on. In verse 36, Jesus answers. He says, my kingdom is not of this world. Mm -hmm. What does it mean that Jesus' kingdom is not of this world? And what are some differences between mm -hmm. earthly kingdoms and Christ's kingdom. Yeah, this is fundamental. Um, in effect, he is saying, at one level, you don't need to worry about me. I'm not going to be doing what you think of when you think of a kingdom. Mm. Fundamentally, it goes down to military power. Mm -hmm. I am not going to organize an army to challenge Roman might in this area. Yeah. What the Jews didn't understand, what the zealots didn't understand, the ones who tried to trap Jesus, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? The Romans were ruling the Jews by the will of God. It was a punishment. The times of the Gentiles, beginning with the Babylonians and through the Medes and Persians and through the Greeks and the Romans, was punishment from God by the fact that they didn't keep the law of Moses. Hmm. So Jesus isn't going to go against the will of his father. Um, that's, that's not the nature of his kingdom. But he is, in fact, a king, and he's going to say it very plainly in a moment. His kingdom, the origin of his kingdom, is not the will of the people. It's not the military might of the people. The origin, the power of his kingdom comes from Almighty God. Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Uh, Psalm 2, I have established my king on Zion, my holy hill. That, that authority comes from Almighty God, not from some armed rabble that's going to be topping, toppling um, Roman power. Now, one thing I would say is, <laughs> you'd say, 
Pilate, can I just tell you where we're heading with all this? You don't need to worry. The Romans are going to rule this part of the world for another 15 centuries. They're going to rule in the West for another four centuries. We're a long way away from anyone toppling Roman power. But I will tell you this, within three centuries, the Roman emperor himself will declare that I am God and will worship me. What would Pilate have said to that? (laughs) (laughs) You are out of your mind. (laughs) You'd have been like, well, yet it would all be true. He didn't say any of that. He just says, Mm. my kingdom is not of this world. The worldly kingdoms are all Mm. about fighting and warfare. And that's what he says, right? My servants would have been fighting. Essentially, if if that was my aim, Mm -hmm. I would have had people with me who were fighting against your legions, who were doing physical warfare, but that's not how my kingdom works. Now, what reason does Jesus give for his entry into the world, and how does this help to prove the deity of Christ, which is John's expressed purpose, right? Verse 37 here. Absolutely. So he clearly claims to be a king. Pilate gets it. You are a king. Yes, I'm a king. Openly, I'm a king. He he is saying he's a king. He's not denying. He made the good confession before Pilate, Paul tells us, and that is that he is, in fact, a king. But the origin of of his kingdom is, is eternal. Now, concerning the deity of Christ, he is the only one ever, the only human being ever, who made a conscious choice to enter the world as a human being. So, Wes, if I were to say to you, for what reason did you choose to be born? (laughs) It'd be a ludicrous question. (laughs) I did not. You know, I was born, and at some point I was aware of myself, you know, and my parents, and I was aware of being alive, you know. And then also aware of the fact that I did not choose to (laughs) to be born. But Jesus says, and it's interesting here, you talk about the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus has memories here. He has a knowledge of his thought process before he became incarnate, while he was incarnate. So he has understood what his decision process was before he took on a human body. This is why I chose to come into the world to testify to the truth. That's why I came. Mm. It's really staggering. It's it's just mind-blowing. Yeah. Now, Pilate's attitude toward the truth is one that might not be uh, unfamiliar to us today. How might a faithful Christian respond to a question like this? What is truth? Yeah. So, really, one, one um, pastor that I heard preaching on this said that this really is Pilate's moment here. This is the, the day of salvation for Pilate. And, and he's not, not going to be saved, but I'm, I'm saying this was the opportunity. Today, if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. When Jesus says, for this reason I was born, for this I chose to come into the world, for this reason I came into the world, to testify to the truth, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. That's an invitation. Listen mm-hmm. to me. Listen to me. Truth. And again, that's contrasted with the sword, with military power. Other emperors, other conquerors build their empires with the sword, with killing people. I build my empire with the truth, by people listening to the truth, justification by faith alone. They hear, they believe, they become part of the kingdom. That's how my kingdom advances. Mm. It's a very, very different approach. So everyone on the side of truth listens to me, and Pilate answers so sarcastically, what is truth? We live in a day now that's uh, rife with relativism, postmodernism, the basic concept that there is no objective truth, that there's no, no such thing as metaphysical truth, there's truth for me and truth for you, that kind of thing. There is no absolute truth. We should not imagine that that kind of way of thinking is new in our generation. Mm. 
It's been around a long time. Pilate has it. There's nothing wrong with saying what is truth. It's actually the right question to ask. The problem is walking away. Yeah. To say what is truth and not waiting for the, the answer implies you already know there is no truth. Yeah. You're already so jaded and so sarcastic and cynical about the world. You say, there is no truth and you walk away. Pilate's big sin was not saying what is truth. It was mm-hmm. saying it the way he did as proven by walking away and not listening. Also keep in mind John 14, 6. Mm-hmm. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And Pilate looks at him and says, what is truth? Mm-hmm. It's like, look at me. I'm the truth. Yeah. But he doesn't listen. Yeah, and what an opportunity for us as people are asking that question today to say, let me introduce you to truth. Let mm-hmm. me let me show you one who came and lived and died so that you could know the truth, that invitation uh, yeah. that you mentioned there. Yeah. And the word truth, and we talk about John 14, 6, but truth is that which lines up with reality. Everything else is a lie. It's an illusion. It's mm-hmm. a falsehood. Jesus is truth. He is rock solid, unchanging truth. Heaven and earth will pass away, but his words will never pass away. He absolutely lines up with the way it really is. He is the truth. Yeah. So everything else will be proven to be, um, you know, an ephemeral lie. Hmm. So as we near the end of this passage, what is the significance of Pilate's declaration to the Jews in verse 38 that he finds no guilt in him? Yeah, he's going to say this, I think, three times across into chapter 19. Three times he will deny, He will say, uh, I find no fault in him. Mm-hmm. I find no guilt in him. There is no reason to kill him. So, you know, this, again, is the innocent sheep. Um, he, he, there, he committed no sin. There was no deceit found in his mouth, First mm-hmm. uh, Peter says, quoting Isaiah. So he's the, he's the sinless substitute. And he says, this is the testimony of Pilate, the official judge on the case. Mm. I find no basis for a charge against him. Now he tries to wriggle. Everything Pilate tries to do with the Jews fails. Every single moment, the Jews seem to have the upper hand. And I've already explained why God sovereignly orchestrated Pilate's ineptitude, his political ineptitude, such that they had the whip hand over him. But he says, hey, I have an idea. You have this <laughs> custom. Hey, they will yeah. reach for this. He's trying to find something, mm. you know, to release a prisoner. I have an idea. How about if I release to you the king of the Jews? Mm. And they shout back, no, not him. Give us Barabbas. Now, the, the, the choosing of Barabbas, a common insurrectionist, maybe thief, highway robber. I don't know exactly what he was, but they're choosing him over Jesus. Tells us everything about their hearts. Mm. Yeah. And let's dig into that just a little more because I think that that's, a great place for us to just wrap up as we look Mm -hmm. ahead, even thinking about where this is leading in chapter 19 with Mm -hmm. the crucifixion of Jesus. How does verse 40 show the depravity of the Jews and a picture of Jesus as the substitute for sinners? Well, the fundamental thing comes down to our choices, our will. And the will is the servant of the heart. Mm. So the heart loves and hates. It's attracted to and repulsed from things to a greater or less degree. What's going on here is we're, we're seeing laid open the sinful, the wicked heart of man, unregenerate heart of man. What do they delight in and what do they hate? Mm. And so they, they delight in, in this thief, Barabbas. They delight in this criminal and they hate Jesus, the pure son of God. Mm. But here's something, the beauty of the symbolism here. Effectively, we can see ourselves as Barabbas. We have nothing to commend ourselves. There's nothing, no reason we should be released. But in the end, Jesus died in our place. Mm. And so by Jesus being the one to go off to the, to, the, uh, to the cross, 
Barabbas was the one set free. So I think I can see myself there. So what do we see in this? We see human depravity, we see ourselves, and then we see, by contrast, the purity of the Son of God. Well, thanks, Andy. Any final thoughts on the whole of chapter 18 as we've come to the conclusion here, but not of the scene, right? Yeah, we've got more to go to uh, go through, God willing, next time. But yeah, I think what I would say is, as, as we look at this, just the central theme of the perfection of Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and to allow this account to strengthen our faith in Jesus, to be in awe of how at peace and calm, cool, and collected, and how in charge he was, even while he is being tried and being chained or, or wrapped up with, uh, with bonds and fetters and being led away to his own death, he's really the one in charge. Mm-hmm. And he has orchestrated all of this for our own salvation. Well, this has been part two of episode 38 in the book of John. We invite you to join us next time for episode 39 entitled, The Sentence where we'll discuss John chapter 19, verses 1 through 16. Thank you for listening to the Two Journeys podcast, and may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build His kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.